Blog Talk Radio. Hey, this is Zach Efron, and you're listening to The Stupid Cancer Show. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. Because he has a lot of chutzpah. <laughs> Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids. <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now, the hosts of the Stupid Cancer Show, Lisa Bernhard and Matthew Zachary. Woohoo! Monday, September 17th, and welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. My name is Matthew Zachary, and I am a 16-year young adult survivor of pediatric brain cancer. And I'm Lisa Bernhardt, 17-year young adult breast cancer survivor, and we're your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show. It is not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. Tonight's show, Olympic Survivors. This is a great one. Shannon Miller joins us. She's a young adult survivor of ovarian cancer. She's an Olympic gold medalist, very decorated American gymnast, and she is the founder of Shannon Miller Lifestyle. Also, Josh Sunquist, he's a young adult survivor of Ewing sarcoma, a decorated Paralympic ski racer and the author of Just Don't Fall. And Eric Chanteau, young adult survivor of testicular cancer and Olympic gold medalist in swimming. Okay, the Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, online at stupidcancer.org, the largest support community for the young adult cancer movement. So welcome aboard another fun and exciting romps of the hay on tonight's Stupid Cancer Show, where remission is not a cure and survivorship is all that matters. And a Stupid Cancer welcome to any and all of our first-time listeners here on the Blog Talk Radio Network and on iTunes as we broadcast live from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. Okay. And our self-ingratiating applause. Okay. Clap, clap, clap. So wait, I'm looking at this beautiful woman sitting next to me who was not sitting next to me last week, and I'm curious as to where have you been? I'm the only woman in the room, so I have to assume that you're talking about me. Well, Matt is very cute. Maddie Beckett in the house. I was going to say, where's the punchline in that? I can't believe you actually opened with a bit of sincerity. Yes. Something nice to say. Am I allowed to miss you? Am I? The familiar familiar stench of Lisa Unlike me, you don't have a face for radio. You have a face for television. Kenny, what's going on with him? What's going on with Matt? I'm in a good mood. Unrecognizable. <laughs> That's what you are. I think he went for, um, he, he went for a pre-IVF procedure again, so uh, <laughs> he's feeling good about himself. Mr. Kenny Kane, how you doing? I am very well. I didn't, I didn't wait, wait, wait. I didn't even get to finish the question. You, 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 you said, were, where have you been? You lapsed, you lapsed your time. I flew in this morning, and boy, are my arms tired. Uh-oh. Because 15 and a half hours in coach... From Johannesburg, South Africa. This oh, morning. my God. The homeland of the chairman of our board, Leonard Sender. Oh, you, man. You figured your commute wasn't far enough. Right. Right, right. <laughs> from, from 50 miles north yeah, of Manhattan. Like, F it. I'll just... Yeah. I flew in this morning just for the show. Uh, yeah. Talk about telecommuting. Fabulous. That's pretty insane. So, well, anyway. It's and nice. that stupid song by... Uh, Toto or Poco or whatever that band was. Toto. Dump, the rains dump, in dump, Africa dump, dump, was in my head the entire time. <laughs> was it really? It really was. Did it rain at all? It did rain. Were you blessed by them? <laughs> no, that's something quite yes. different. Yes. Nice. 
Love it. You said Africa, Lion right? King. Yeah. All right, I almost pulled up like Mulan or something. I had okay. live lions mate, male mounted female, right next to the open top Jeep that I was in. That happened pretty... right there. Oh, <laughs> It was so intense. <laughs> they roared. Do you know what happens? Yes, so lions roar. Little, I learned little, that in third grade. They have a little. They have a little foreplay. Of course, the female lets you know. Is there, and, and is, a male there's li- some hiney sniffing? Li- no, listen to this. <laughs> this they, is they rub up Thursdays. Their, 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 their faces, they rub their faces together. Jeez. And then the female, you know, gets down and the male comes up behind her. But And they both, they both <laughs> roar. The male, of course, bites her neck. And then she pushes him off seconds after they've when been she's watching, done. Wait, they've been watching Let's, way too much Twilight. Yeah. Biting necks? Maybe. You have. And uh, but the male lion has a barbed penis. What? Much much like many cats. Yes. <laughs> I need a soundtrack for this description. Ten Keep days going. that song was in my head. You're turning me on. Keep talking about lions and. The male lion has a barbed penis, and he induces ovulation in the female, and but it's painful, and she pushes him off. But then they come and cuddle. They have like a little post post coital. That's my new band. Moment. Come and cuddle. <laughs> Oh, here's the Toto. How you You're doing? listening to the Midnight Call. Yeah. This is Matthew Zachary. Anyway, it was fabulous. The time is 8.06. Giraffes, elephants, hyenas, leopard. That's amazing. All right there. R- remind That's me amazing. never to ever Google search barbed penis again. <laughs> <laughs> again? I know. Yeah. Mark this moment in history. <laughs> Hashtag do now, not. <laughs> now you know that there actually is a barbed penis. You Mo- were just randomly Googling Mo- that before. Moderate, yes. Moderate <laughs> safe search is off. Oh, boy. Moderate safe search. All right. Anyway, well, enough about Lisa and your African <laughs> yes. bonanza. Welcome back to the States Thank where we use much. money instead of bartering with stones. Rand. Everyone, we just love Africa as a sponsor. The whole continent. You did. You did. Anyway, we have an amazing uh, recap of the last week. Like, all of this literally happened in the last week. Obviously, We had the uh, inaugural OMG 2012 East Conference Heard here in New York great. City. We had 125 attendees. It was extraordinary. The speakers were fantastic. The survivor panel was fantastic. We had over 100 people at the after party with wine and food. Just it could not have been better. It was really wonderful, very well executed, and special thanks and props go out to our friends at Kenny LLS, the Leukemia Lymphoma Society. Meg Harrison, Karen DeMayor, you are our BFFs forever. Thank you so much. We were also in Glamour Magazine. We were. Very nice. Because Kenny needed a makeover. You still got that scraggly beard. Did I, they I, let you go in, Kenny's in, going Amish. In glamour, in glamour with that? I, I, I just posted speak. on Facebook that my beard is making young children feel uncomfortable, and I'm getting some positive I think feedback. they're calling yeah. that caveman chic. It's uh, the Chris Kringle <laughs> right. from uh, whatever that movie was. What, Nightmare Before Christmas? Nightmare Before Christmas. Yes. I'm pretty sure you just made that up. No, that's a Tim Burton movie. Yeah, no, but... It's like, never mind. Okay, good luck with that. No, it's like Deliverance. It's not like Santa. <laughs> deliverance. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, time well, to, anyway, time to uh, meet your friend. The every Ranger. month, Glamour profiles a different nonprofit for a section called, like, Give Back or whatever mm-hmm. it's called. And we were that organization this month in October, which is fantastic. It is great. Yes. We should find out exactly what it's called. Well, it's on and Facebook. Get it you, below. you know how Matt does like the brackets? I was away. I'm oh, shut up with the brackets. I'll bracket it, it, you. It's like, it's like bracket, give back bracket on page 36 of the October issue of Glamour. Yes, page 36 of Glamour. Shelly Nolden from New Jersey is featured in her lovely chemo cap. Fantastic. And we have great news to announce to the world tonight. We have elected a brand new board member to the uh, Stupid Cancer Board of Directors. And his name is Salvatore Diana. Salvatore Diana is the Executive Vice President and Creative Director of Draft FCB Healthcare here in New York City. I have known him since high school in 1989. So we have a lot of uh, embarrassing and phenomenal history together, and I couldn't be more happy to have someone with his skills, his experience, and his passion for our brand on our board of directors. So he used to watch you get shoved into lockers and stuff like that? He's a year younger than me, so he didn't watch me because that was only my freshman year. Uh, by, by sophomore year, I was only getting shoved into like the corners of dumpsters. The lockers, right, right. lockers were a privilege when you was were Was that freshman. because you were... Uh, you were Never mind. We were both. Sal, Sal is also—he's quite an accomplished singer. Sal is also yes. Sal is an opera singer. He's Anybody a, who's been to what was the event where he sang with the group? OMG 2011 kickoff party. Yes. There you go. Thank you, Kenny. Yes. Really yes. amazing. Yeah. 
And before we get to Shannon in a second, uh, Kenny, you are headed off tomorrow to uh, where? I have the most insane travel schedule coming up. I am heading, very excited for this, heading to Noonan, Georgia. I always want to say Newman. Noonan, Georgia, uh, the CT, Cancer Treatment Center of America, CTCA, grand opening down there for the southeast region. Uh, super excited to be down there and meeting up with some of our Atlanta folks and having a great 24-hour stint in Georgia. And by the way, Cancer Treatment Centers of America is our first impact partner. Hell yeah. They have a two-year commitment with us, and we are extraordinarily excited to be uh, in their camp and vice versa. Cancer Treatment Centers of America is online at cancercenter.org. We love them. Check them out. And uh, they are they are the real deal. So special thanks to them. And I guess without further ado, we are so excited about today's show. Great the show. idea of gold medal award-winning Olympiad young adult survivors. Things... Well, I, I'm not a survivor, That's but your th- t- things you will never be. <laughs> All the things I may never be. Yes. Exactly, exactly. Well, without further ado. Shannon Miller. This is exciting. I'm thrilled to have her on the show. Young adult ovarian cancer survivor Shannon Miller remains the most decorated American gymnast, male or female, in history. She's the only American to rank among the top ten all-time gymnasts and is the only female athlete to be included into the U.S. Olympic Hall of Fame twice. At the 1996 Olympic Games, she led the magnificent seven to the U.S. women's first-ever team gold, and for the first time for any American gymnast, she captured gold on the balance beam. Recently, Shannon launched her company, Shannon Miller Lifestyle, Health and Fitness for Women, to empower women to make their health a priority. We are thrilled to welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Shannon Miller. Shannon. (laughs) Thank you. Wow, what an introduction. Hi, Shannon. How are you? I'm good. I'm very good. Thank you. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to be on the show, especially after this amazing summer. And your story is just so incredible. We really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Well, my son just went down, so we we won't have a cry. Well, we shouldn't have a crying baby in the background, which is great. <laughs> That's okay. We've had crying babies. We've had barking dogs. We realize that people have lives, so... <laughs> If it should happen, uh, we'll we'll roll with it. It's usually just true. a crying CEO over here. Yes. Though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, we're usually the ones that are crying. I'm the crying baby. Yeah. That is true. So, <laughs> so Shannon, let's start off with um, tell us, tell folks out there again who don't know your uh, diagnosis, when it was, when it was in terms of your career, what was going on with your life, and uh, what they told you at the time. Uh, well, I had just launched my company. I was about six months in. And uh, things were going really well, um, getting busy, and uh, I was supposed to go for my yearly checkup and had called up my doctor's office, and I, I hate to admit this, but I was going to postpone my appointment sure. um, because I was going to be out of town. And I had all of these women's voices in the back of my head, um, those women that I've interviewed, I had spoken to, the survivors, and I, I ended up taking the first available, and it was that morning, which absolutely changed my life. Um, they found a baseball-sized tumor uh, on my left ovary, which ended up being um, a germ cell tumor, which is a, a pretty rare form of ovarian cancer. Right. And, um, of course, being young, I, I really had not even considered ovarian cancer. So um, surgery, nine weeks of a pretty aggressive chemotherapy re- regimen, and um, I'm, I'm happy to say I'm not cancer-free. That's great. And you, when you said you were about six months into launching your uh, company, was this 2010, 2011? Uh, I launched the company in the summer of 2010, found out about the cyst um, in December, and was in surgery to have it removed by January of 2011. Okay. So for somebody who relied on her body for so much of her life and being so fit and being so successful uh, because of who you were physically, was there a feeling of, I and did you feel a kind of betrayal, a sort of like, oh my gosh, I've, you know, I've had this incredible machine that I've relied upon for so many, th- you know, for my total livelihood? I mean, was was there a sort of extra feeling like that in terms of when you got your diagnosis? In many ways, yes, um, because we are, it, it, particularly in gymnastics, you're in such fine tune with exactly. Um, how your body feels, what it's doing, what it's capable of, how exactly how far you can push it each and every day. Um, and then all of a sudden you have a baseball in you and you had no idea. I mean, I had no symptoms that I can really pinpoint that would lead me to believe I had something inside of me that large, which is just scary in and of itself. Um, but I was also 
Um, my son was about 14 months old when I was, 14, 15 months old when I was diagnosed. So I was still also in that post-baby era where my body was kind of out of whack anyways. Right. So um, I feel like that's maybe why I wasn't in tune quite as much. I mean, certainly retirement, I, you know, after retiring from gymnastics, you don't think about things as much, you know, physically as, as you did when you're, you know, tumbling around on a four-inch wide piece of wood each day. Uh-huh. But um, then you, uh, you know, throw throw pregnancy and childbirth and, and all of that into it, and everything's kind of chaos. <laughs> wow. So, Shannon, I'd like to talk about the young adult experience, how it's different. This whole show is based on, and the whole organization is based on that. When you're younger, life is very different than if you were to get cancer as an older adult or a little child. And you as a mother... Clearly, parents of young children are typically young adults and getting cancer through parenting and dealing with that and family planning. Uh, could you talk a little, little bit about how, how that disruption just really played into and how you navigated through it? Well, I think, you know, certainly there were the pros and the cons. Um, one of the most difficult parts, well, there are, there are many difficult parts. Um, you know, with the surgery, I wasn't allowed to lift my son for eight weeks, which you know that's that's doable you, you can do that but as a new mom yeah that's just it's tough um and i probably did more of it than i was supposed to right but he he wasn't even walking yet at 15 months so i kind of had to lift him a lot but uh i think when i lost my hair was the biggest um difficulty uh i i wasn't even uh, yes it it was uh dramatic it was difficult for me personally but my biggest concern was, is my child going to be scared of me? You know, is he going to see me and start crying? And that just, I mean, that just terrified me. So um, getting through that and having him be young enough to really under not understand what I was going through um, was probably a good thing. But um, it does take a toll. Um, you know, my husband stepped in and stepped up and, and had to basically do everything uh, my job and his and all of the household, and it was just wonderful that we had family and friends that could support us. Again, it just goes back to the uniqueness of being young. Most people don't think of young adults when it comes to cancer, and again, sharing your story and being part of the the, the larger movement of young adults is, is so critical to let other people know they're not alone, and these are things that they can do when they're faced with these challenges. I was hoping you could comment a little bit on uh, what it was like, again, going back to Lisa's, uh, you know, how you feel betrayed by your body and how you might cope with that. What were your coping mechanisms throughout this process? Well, I think, you know, my first, you know, kind of action reaction, I heard the news, I learned I had to go through chemotherapy, and um, the reaction was, you know, don't cry over spilled milk. When you fall off the beam, you get back up and you keep going, and you're probably going to fall off again, but you get back up and you just keep going. So what are those action items that I can do to make a positive impact on what I'm going through? What can I do to help fight this battle and come out stronger because of it? Um, and some of those very specific items were control of my diet and exercise. Um, my diet, um, pre, you know, pre um uh, chemotherapy and during, um, I lost 10 pounds overnight. I lost basically 10% of my body weight overnight with the surgery. I was so weak. I lost a lot of muscle. So I had to gain some of that back before going into chemo. So it was um, the the dream diet, which was kind of the silver lining, uh, cheeseburgers. And, you know, my <laughs> my doctor just said, whatever you want to eat, just eat just calories. Get the calories in. Get the protein in. Um, so, you know, that's that's the silver lining, and that's something I had control over. And in cancer, you just don't get a lot of control. Um, fitness was the other thing, and I couldn't do a lot because of the surgery, but I could walk. I could do yoga. I could lift light weights. I basically did kind of like pregnancy workouts um, because I had to be gentle in that same area. And that was fantastic because it not only made me feel better about myself, it gave me strength, it kept me moving, it kept me active, it um, helped me fight off some of the nausea. So there were so many benefits to really focusing on my diet and exercise. And and then I think above all, uh, you know, first and foremost is uh, just your faith. You know, what, what can you cling to? Because it's a difficult time no matter what cancer you're facing, no matter what regimen you're facing. It's just tough. And you're going to have those bad days where you just feel like crawling under the covers and, and giving up. And that's when you have to cling to what you know best and know that you're not in this alone. 
Shannon, did you know immediately that as a public figure you wanted to be public about your illness? I mean, because you guys, you and the Magnificent Seven were really such trailblazers in Manhattan's, in in gymnastics. Before we get to you, did a comparison of the the recent Fab Five. Um, but did you, uh, even though it had been some years since you you know had been at the Olympics and been sort of front and center? Still, as a public figure, did you struggle with that at all about whether to be full disclosure about your illness? Well, when I when I had the surgery, you know, I didn't announce anything about the surgery because I didn't know going into the surgery that it was cancer. We didn't yeah. know what it was. So when I came out, it was removed, and we had a green light. Everything looked great. So then I then it was kind of not a non-event, and I, I guess I was in a little bit of denial that it even was cancer because now it was out. Right. But then a couple weeks later when I learned it was a higher-grade malignancy, I had to go through chemo, all of this this stuff, um, I really did know right away. I knew instantly because of the work I was already doing. I mean, my company is based on helping women make their health a priority, and if I can't step up and, and walk the walk, then I shouldn't be in this business. So um, it was really important me, to me to get out in front and just say, look, if um, – you know, if you think you're not going to get it or not going to know someone that, that has cancer, think again because cancer doesn't really care. It doesn't care if you have time for it. It doesn't care how many gold medals you have. Cancer doesn't discriminate. So we just have to be preventative when we can and, you know, fight it as much as we can if it hits. Shannon, we have a question from the uh, chat room here. We have a live chat room during every show. Um, the question of fertility. You obviously had a child when you were diagnosed, and what, did the issue come up during your care before your surgery? And uh, where are you now as far as that is concerned? If you're willing to share. Sure. No, that's that's a great question, and it was something that you know was really difficult because we were actually thinking I was I was thinking we would be announcing to my parents that we were you know, uh, pregnant with our second child. Instead, I was calling them and telling them I had cancer. So um, it was first and foremost in our minds because we had planned for a second. And we were given, um, before the surgery, they said, well, we just don't know because we don't know what's, what's going on. So I could wake up from surgery basically with a hysterectomy and no chance to bear more children. So that right. was that was really tough. But once I got through it, they gave me about an 85% chance. Um, I still have my one ovary, so hopefully it's going to, kick in and do its job, but I have um, actually just in the last two weeks, I have received the uh, the all clear that if we want to go ahead and try, it's, it's been a year since treatment, that, um, that I'm okay to do so. Great. That gets one of these. Yay. <laughs> so we'll cross our fingers. Nice. <laughs> we figure, you know, we talked about it a lot, and we just thought, you know, we, we are so blessed with one beautiful, healthy, wonderful child. And if that's what God gives us, then that's great. And if we get blessed with more, that's fantastic, too. Cool. Did you feel, you know, I, I, I sort of, I'm a breast cancer survivor, and I know that I very much, uh, without even coming close to being an Olympic athlete, felt very competitive where I thought, you know, damn it, this is me against the illness, and the illness is not going to beat me on this. How much did you, did you find your sort of competitive spirit kicking in as well? It did. It did. Well, first yeah. of all, congratulations Thank on survivorship. You. Thank um, you. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I wrote an ebook, um, and it's it's free. It's just something I felt a passion to write, and it's called "Competing with Cancer" because that's how I looked at it. Um, I knew how to compete with something, and usually it's um, against the equipment or for the best score. It's not really against another person, so that's how I looked at it as far as cancer and and particularly chemotherapy as a treatment. So. Um, it was, and it was a battle every day. And I tell you what, uh, cancer came out swinging. <laughs> that first week of chemo, I landed back in the hospital. The second week, I lost my hair. The third week, getting out of bed was a good day. So it, it was, a, it was a, a tough round, but, but I can just say I won. <laughs> Knock on wood. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm also interested too because you're so you have your, your company Shannon Miller Lifestyle, which is shannonmillerlifestyle.com. Um, as somebody who's, you know, as a gymnast and somebody who's had to pay such close close attention to her body and at such a young age, what's kind of the message that you would give young women out there? You know, there's so many body issue, uh, image issues. Sorry, I've been on a long plane flight today, <laughs> tripping <laughs> over my words. But, 
you know, to walk that fine line to promote health, and I know that you promote yoga and all kinds of great things on your site, but to not get too nuts about it and to not, you know, when we're in an age where the women's magazines are really, you know, airbrushing a lot of young women, public figures, and showing them to be thinner than they actually are, and there's just so much pressure on young women, um, which you, I mean, you lived having to be in such amazing shape as a gymnast. But is there a message out there or a way to, that you could sort of tell young women to find some balance in their lives, to be healthy but not be obsessive about how they look? That's right, and, and I think you're right. I mean, it's all about health. It's um, having your body as a tool to do what you want to do in life. And, um, and it, 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 actually, it wasn't very hard for me in gymnastics because I always viewed my body as a tool. And, uh, you know, I grew up in, in Oklahoma. We didn't. We didn't know as much maybe about nutrition um, in my in my household just growing up, but um, but I trained seven hours a day so I could eat whatever whatever I wanted. Yeah, um, that. Yeah. But um, when I when I stopped gymnastics and retired, I gained quite a bit of weight, and I did have a lot of body issues. I I found myself staying indoors all the time. I didn't oh. get out and live life. I wasn't the kind of easygoing, fun-loving person that that I used to be. I wasn't as confident, and a lot of the reason why I started my company stems from those kind of off years where I wasn't comfortable in my own skin, and I don't want any woman to have to feel that way, and and I tell you what, going through cancer, I mean, I've got scars all over. I've got port scars. I've got this scar, and you know, I'm happy to be alive. And I'm, yeah. <laughs> I don't really mind about the scars, and if I really want to put makeup over it, I can. But it's it's almost um, it, it's we love scars it's here. A battle, we, you <laughs> know. It, yeah. You go through it, and you realize it's okay. And in my, you know, my poor husband, he's, you know, I walk around the house. I've got no wig on. My hair's like a frizzy mess because it's about two inches long, and it's just growing out. And he watched me be bald for, you know, eight months, and <laughs> you know, and and he doesn't care. And I, I've finally gotten over that bump where it just doesn't matter. You have to be happy with who you are and be in your own skin. And, yeah, we all want to look good. And um, we've all got that last, you know, two or three pounds we got to lose and whatnot. But that doesn't mean we go on the deep end. There's that fine balance there between just being healthy and being active and not kind of going over to that side where it's kind of a downward slide. Yeah. yeah, Shannon, we have about a minute left. These interviews go very fast because they're always awesome. But I wanted to ask you a quick question that, you know, from the cynical side of things where it's often very difficult to eat well or to, to work out and to find time. Have you had any interaction with or what are your thoughts on Michelle Obama's uh, campaign, about uh, the anti-obesity campaign? Because that is who you, you fund, correct? Uh, no, no. Um, we uh, we actually we don't have any um, link with there, and it's it's great that she's bringing light to childhood obesity. Um, my my foundation is for childhood obesity, and we actually started that in 2006. And we focus primarily on the activity side, getting kids up and active, reducing screen time. You know, my feeling on on fast food is, you know the wonderful thing about living in America is that you have the opportunity to say no. And it hurts. It's hard when you're, you know, your two-year-old's crying out for, for something. But, um, you know, there are healthy things. I think the fast food chains, they're actually doing um, a pretty decent job of trying to find healthy foods that they can put in there should you want to have that. Um, but you also have to kind of take a little bit of responsibility. And, and like I said, I'm a mom. It's it's tough. It's not a cakewalk. But um, but getting your kids active is a big step in the right direction. And um, and then just trying to get as many healthy meals in as possible. It doesn't mean that my son doesn't eat pizza every once in a while or donuts or whatnot. Um, he's a kid. He likes that stuff. But, you know, he just don't give it to him every single day. But donuts oh. taste good. Let's just let's good. all just agree you know? that donuts taste well, good. <laughs> Well, my my philosophy with kids and adults is everything in moderation. Life is good. Yeah, Yeah. enjoy it all. (laughs) Before we wrap, I actually I have to ask you, and this is kind of a twofold question. It's interesting when you talked about what happened to you when you retired from gymnastics that you gained weight because gymnastics is a sport that, unlike tennis um, or many other sports, where you kind of see. I mean, you could see, say, a Chris Everett on a senior tour. You could see them practicing their their sport and continuing on their sport later in life, which. Gymnastics, you don't, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't see, you know, you don't see a lot of gymnasts 
kind of perpetuate that or go on sort of the senior gymnast tour after they retire. The senior rings. You know, so I would think that that would be a little bit tricky. And then um, if you could just, you know, tease that out or kind of speak more to that. And then, of course, before we wrap, I have to hear your thoughts on our on on the Fab Five for this year's uh, London Olympics. Oh, okay. Um, well, to answer your, your first question quickly, um, yeah, it is hard. But at the same time, you don't start gymnastics at five years old thinking you're going to do it at, you know, at 30 right. or 40. Um, I thought 19 was going to be really old. Oh, I'm not yeah. going to be doing gymnastics at 19. Yeah. But, um, you know, you do it because you love it. And um, it is unfortunate that you can't do it forever because I would still be out there in my tutu. Do you do um, it I would like- need a skirt. but. Yeah. Do you do it um, privately? Are there things that you just still do on your own or not as much? Not really, no. Yeah. I mean, handstands, cartwheels, a few things like that. But what happens is you can do it all in your head just fine, but the body doesn't quite work like it used to. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and the Fab Five, oh, my gosh, they were amazing. Um, I had such a wonderful time doing the commentary for them uh, yeah. for, for the Olympics, and uh, it was so hard to stay in my seat. I was standing most <laughs> of it because um, they were all just, fantastic they have been training so hard and this has been a long road for them and for them to be able to kind of put the icing on the cake bring home that gold i mean we've been searching yeah. for team gold for a while now and right. it's just fantastic is, is it kind of bittersweet the comparisons to your you know you and the magnificent seven with with them you know we get asked that a lot i feel yeah. bad for them but yeah. <laughs> um, here is because they're really they're so much more talented. Uh, I'm going to say I'm not going to put down my team because they were fantastic. Uh, right. They're so much more talented than I could have ever dreamed. I mean, the skills that they're doing these days, um, it, it's just absolutely incredible, the evolution of gymnastics, and you never know where it's going to top out. But um, but like I said, you know, I've kind of watched these girls grow up. They work so hard, and, and they absolutely deserve it. That's great. Well, we're thrilled to have you on the show. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. And, uh, again, we'll put in the chat room uh, your website, which is ShannonMillerLifestyle.com. All kinds of stuff there. And the book that you've written about um, competing with cancer, about uh, your diagnosis, and all kinds of things from motherhood to fitness, health and nutrition, your foundation. Uh, it's all it's all on there. The whole package. Yeah. All wrapped up with my nice tidy bow. <laughs> well, congratulations on your survivorship of stupid cancer. Welcome to the club that no one wants to belong to, but once you hear your family, that is true. And uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to be with us tonight. Shannon Miller, everybody. Shannon Miller, thank you Thanks, so much. Shannon. Thank you. All right, let's. Very cool. Very. No, she's awesome. Yep. All right, and now the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Okay, here at Stupid Cancer, we promote and host hundreds of U.S. events each year and don't want you missing out. We're talking about financial webinars, fertility conferences, kayaking retreats, meetups, tweet-ups, road trips, concerts, and more. Hey, Kenny, where can people find out about all these awesome events? You are way too cracked out right now. All right, (laughs) Thursday. September 27th, we have a Stupid Cancer Happy Hour in New Jersey. We also have one the same evening in Chicago, followed the next evening, Saturday, September 29th, in actually two nights later, in Florida. And finally, Friday, October 5th, in Phoenix, Arizona. And of course, you can find out about these and all of our other events at events.stupidcancer.org. That's events.stupidcancer.org. All right, it's official, Lisa. It's official, Matthew. Mark your calendars for OMG 2013, the 6th Annual OMG Cancer Summit, April 25th through 28th, 2013, at the Palms Casino in Las Vegas. That's April 25th through April 28th, four days of awesome at one of the largest gatherings of its kind in the world. Visit omg2013.org today and learn more about the OMG Players Club, an exciting way to earn travel reimbursement by fundraising. That's omg2013.org. The Stupid Cancer Store now has more than 14 awesome products for sale right now, from pins, pens, and stickers to lanyards, and a survivor journal and the most amazing graphic tees you've seen this side of Chemoland. Be proud. Wear Stupid Cancer out the Stupid Cancer Store, stupidcancerstore.org. The Stupid Cancer Forums have over 2,500 members. This is your premier online community to connect with survivors, patients, parents, and caregivers just like you. Visit stupidcancerforums.com and dot that, com or dot org. Dot, well, it's the same thing. All right. All so grains lead to the ocean. That's right. Okay. Sign up with one click through Facebook, and that is your Stupid Cancer, Cancer News. news.
Our next guest, actually returning champion, he was on the show four years ago. Quite amazing. Josh Sundquist is the author of the national bestseller, Just Don't Fall. And he has been featured on CNN, USA Today, and NPR. He has spoken to hundreds of thousands of people from across the globe, including audiences at Fortune 500 Companies and the White House, young adult osteosarcoma survivor and Paralympian extraordinaire, the one and only. Please welcome Josh Sundquist. Josh. Hello, Josh. Hey, guys. Welcome back to the show, my friend. It's been a long time. We've missed you. Yeah, well, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's really great. How you been? Really good. Really good. How about you guys? Good. What have you been up to these days? Uh, well, you know, travel around, give a lot of speeches, and I uh, make a lot of YouTube videos these days, actually. It's uh, become sort of a hobby slash obsession of mine. I hear that YouTube thing is catching on. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like uh, the people like it. I don't, you know, they, it, it's on computers, apparently. There's moving video. <laughs> it's really phenomenal. <laughs> There's a quote from The Simpsons where Homer's like, Marge, they have the internet on computers now. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, let's go back to the beginning for our listeners out there. I'd love to hear you recant your story, how it got started, and and where you're at. And and you're it's just an incredibly amazing and inspiring uh, story. Well, thank you. Um, I appreciate it. Uh, well, yeah. So I I was diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma when I was nine years old. Um, I had before that I'd, I'd been a big soccer player. That was what I loved to do. And um, and and then I got cancer and, and I started uh, chemo for a few months. And I still uh, like the, the tumor covered pretty much my whole femur and my left leg. And so went through a bunch of different sort of operation options and ended up going with an amputation of my left leg from the hip. Uh, and then soon after that, I learned how to ski, and I did that kind of recreationally while I was finishing up chemo. I was on chemo for a year. I had 18 treatments. And then uh, I finished up the treatment. That was, you know, when I was 10, and I started skiing competitively a few years later uh, while I was in high school. And I trained and raced full-time for six seasons. And in 2006, I went to the Paralympics in Torino, Italy, as a member of the U.S. team, which was awesome. And, uh, yeah, now I, I travel around and I get speeches uh, about my story and, and try to, you know, inspire people. And I, I wrote the book and I make my videos and, you know, go on long walks on the beach and other sort of things like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Josh, you kind of glo- glo- glossed over this, but it's not every person who loses their entire leg from the hip down and, and says, I know, I'll ski now. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I think that skiing, like, really – captured my imagination immediately when I first started doing it. I think, number one, because, like I said, I used to play soccer, and I was like, "Ah, I'm never going to be like that great of a soccer player on crutches or on a prosthesis. But number two, the first day I went up to the mountain and started skiing at my local resort in Virginia where I grew up, I realized, like, I I could be as fast with one leg as anybody was with two. And, you know, as somebody who had recently lost a leg as as a child, like, that was very appealing, just that speed uh, and sort of equality of it. Right, right. So I've I've got it before we uh, I've got to get this question in because it was such a, a big topic for the Olympics. Oscar uh, Pistorius, as am I saying, is yeah. Pistorius. How do, Pistorius or Pistorius? How do you is that pronounce the guy it? that they let run with the prosthetic Pistorius. leg? Yes, and it was mm-hmm. a huge. Right. It was a, it was very controversial as to you know whether or not he should actually be in the Olympics. If it would give him a leg up with the wah, what, wah, wah, with the wah. with his prosthesis, yes. <laughs> So, Josh, what was your feeling throughout on the whole debate about Oscar? Yeah, that's a really good question. I uh, actually had the opportunity to go to the Olympics um, as part of my YouTube stuff. YouTube sent me over to make videos uh, covering the Olympics. So so I was there uh, not to watch any of his events specifically, but I was there in London, and I actually yeah, made a video kind of talking about uh, my feelings uh, about him and, or about sort of his competing. Obviously, like him as a person, I think he's an incredible athlete. He's super inspirational and just like is sort of a, a beacon of hope for both amputees and able-bodied persons around the world. Um, as far as him competing in the Olympics, you know, I think, um, you know, I, I, going into it, I, I was, had sort of mixed feelings because I thought, you know, maybe it sort of degrades the value of the Paralympics, right. uh, you know, to have a Paralympian say, like, well, the Paralympics, are, they're not quite enough for me. I also want to be in the Olympics. Um, right. But, you know, after, after he competed and I, I saw the, the amount of attention that he brought to uh, sports for people with disabilities and the amount of hope that he brought, uh, you know, with that bigger audience of people that watch on the Olympics, you know, I think it's pretty cool that he got to be able to compete. 
Well, this year's Paralympics, which followed on the heels of the Olympics, was completely sold out in London. I mean, used all the same venues and had something like a million. I mean, it was incredible. I mean, it, it was it's so heartening and wonderful to see what uh, what a a draw the, the, the Paralympics are. Yeah, you know, and I, th- I think that you know every uh, every time the Olympics and Paralympics come around, the, the Paralympics get a little bit more attention and a little bit more sort of credibility, and, and uh, you know the, the Paralympic message gets spread a little bit wider. And it was great to see that happen in London. Yeah, and it was like viral on social media too, like every yeah, single was, thing. You know, it, that YouTube all, yeah, thing was coming in handy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. So, uh, Josh, I want to go back to your diagnoses because, you know, okay. everything we do here is through the lens of the young adult. Uh, what were your symptoms? Were you misdiagnosed? Do you feel like you were treated age appropriately? What was your life like at the time? All those. Yeah. Answer in one word. I'm kidding. <laughs> Complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I had um, pain in my leg. Um, I was not. Um, I don't know if I would say I was not formally misdiagnosed, although I did have a uh, one biopsy that was sort of inconclusive in that they found just dead cells in uh, my bone. Um, so it was clear from, you know, like x-rays and, and whatnot that there was, like, something going on there. Uh, and then they just found dead cells uh, because, as it turns out, so I have Ewing sarcoma, which sort of, um, uh, you know, most types of tumors tend to sort of metastasize in one place and just sort of expand, whereas Ewing can sometimes sort of move through a space. Um, and sort of just like leave this trail of dead cells behind. And so initially they thought it was an infection. Uh, and uh, and actually I was going to have an operation where they were going to like just take out the infection. And then like that operation, they were like, oh, wait, we're here, we'd have cancer. <laughs> um, and so uh, so that, that was how I was sort of diagnosed. So, yeah, it took a little bit, uh, you know, time and, and a few different doctors and stuff. And, uh, yeah, you know, I would say that, I, I was I was treated by um, you know a staff of people who uh, love kids and love helping kids get well, and I was very lucky at the Children's Medical Center at UVA University of Virginia. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's uh, you know when you're when you're dealing with a nine-year-old kid who has a 50% chance to live and and just doesn't eat, it's like. I, you know, it, it, there's inevitably going to be sort of misunderstandings and situations where, uh, you know, it, it's terribly frightening because it's terribly frightening at any age, you know, let alone when you're nine and, and adults trying to communicate to you about your situation. Well, there you go. Did you have friends at the time that uh, kind of abandoned you or friends that stuck with you socially? Were you able to find that? I hate the term. I hate to use it, but there's really no replacement for new normal. Yeah. That's a great question, and you know, I was I was really fortunate um, that yeah that I had just amazing friends. Uh, I was uh, I was actually homeschooled at the time. I was not related to the cancer. I just was homeschooled before I was diagnosed, and so I was homeschooled until I went to high school. So my friends at the time were kids from my homeschool group, kids from my neighborhood, kids from church, and uh, and they were just like incredibly supportive. In fact, when I first started losing my hair, eighteen of them came over to my house and like shaved their heads. Uh, to support wow. me, which was just, which was really cool, because at the time, like, if you saw a picture of me now, you know, I had uh, sort of a, like, messy hair look, but, like, at the time, I was very meticulous about having my hair, like, slicked back perfectly, I put on tons of gel, and so I think it was, like, particularly devastating for me as a nine-year-old, more so than it would be for a lot of nine-year-old boys, uh, to, like, lose my hair, and so it was also particularly, uh, you know, meaningful to have my friends and my brother rally around me like that. So I want to talk about the book. Um, it's hard enough to write a book, let alone when you have a reason to write a book. So um, obviously the, the irony of Just Don't Fall and that, that amazing photo of you skiing with, with one leg. I, I started skiing at age three, and I was the kid who had his arms stretched straight out with no poles falling down by gravity in like a yep. giant puffy jacket. That was me. And I stopped yeah. skiing at 17 because it was very expensive. But that's another yeah, story. Uh, yeah. <laughs> sorry, I can't afford the boots. The boots are too expensive. But w- – what got you into? Were you skiing beforehand? Why? Why not like, like cliff diving? What, what? What was it specifically that was the appeal for you? Yeah, no, I hadn't skied before, and I think yeah, a big reason was that it was like really expensive. My parents were very, uh, mm-hmm. you know, responsible with their money. I guess would be a, a positive way of saying it, but. Um, you know, and so they were always like, no, we don't ski, you know, it's too expensive, that sort of thing. And then after I lost my legs and there were so many things I couldn't do anymore, you know, and, and skiing is, is a sport that is just so adaptable for so many different types of disabilities um, uh, that, uh, you know, it was something I could easily plug into. And, and so, yeah, I started skiing after I lost my leg and, and just, you know, immediately loved it. And I, I started racing, you know, a little bit later, I guess, when I was, 
16 was when I got serious about about my racing, and then I started like first I skied just in Virginia, and then the next year I moved out to Colorado to train full time. Well, there you go. I have a. Uh, I think we have a question. We have a question in the chat room, Matthew. I'm sure. Um. Because I. No. No. I have a question. <laughs> so you don't, uh, Josh. You don't. Um, do you ever wear a prosthetic leg or no? That's a good question. I used to wear a prosthesis for uh, yeah about like ten years. Yeah, I wore it kind of like to high school. Like I always wore it to school and college. I wore it like maybe half of the time. Right. And then I, I had like sort of nerve problems that like flared up um, weirdly. You know, when I was like twenty one, um, and so it just became sort of like impractically painful to wear it. And I get around fine on my crutches. So it's you know I guess given the choice, I, I could be able to wear it sometimes and use the crutches sometimes. But I get around fine on my crutches. I'm actually much more agile, being that, as you mentioned, I lost my leg up at the hip. You know, it's, it's pretty difficult to walk with a prosthesis. So I'm much more agile now. And, um, you know, I kind of like the idea that when I'm out and about and I meet people, you know, there's there's no question, oh, like, why is this guy limping? Like, I wonder if I should ask. Right. Like, it's like obvious, oh, he's missing a leg. And, you know, there's something kind of real uh, about that that I also appreciate. So, oh, no, I yeah. don't wear a leg anymore. Total, totally understand it. And my, I also wonder, too, um, I mean, obviously, people wear prosthesis. It's it's wonderful when it helps them, when it does help them kind of move around better. Um, but I wonder too, in terms of you, if if and I wonder about your feeling about this is, you know, sometimes um, I think to sort of integrate um, those that that um, that you know, an, an amputee into society is when it's not you know, not everybody in a sense sort of has to have two legs. You know what I'm saying? I mean, sometimes I feel like is legs it, are overrated. Yeah, legs are overrated. <laughs> No, but seriously, it's like, you know, I mean, some people, I've seen some people in the past sort of get uncomfortable if they see somebody who, you know, they know um, has a prosthesis and isn't wearing it or feels like, you know, somehow they quote-unquote should in, in, you know, when they're kind of out and about. And maybe this speaks more to kind of an older generation as um, where they were perhaps more used to that. But I wonder if, you know, it's it's it, we're only used to seeing people um, with two legs, but everybody obviously is who they are and should be accepted as who they are. And I wonder if you ever think, like, you know, I should be out there sort of showing people that this is as normal. It's just that we might be more conditioned, you know, we're more conditioned to seeing people with two legs, but this is just as quote-unquote normal to get around life and be successful with one. Yeah, no, that's, that's a really insightful thing. I've never quite, quite thought about it um, like that. And you're right because, yeah, people do – had that expectation. Uh, in fact, you know, it's, uh, people also just say the weirdest stuff to me because I have one leg. And, and uh, a story that speaks to what you're talking about is last summer I was walking around my neighborhood and this guy, like a total stranger, I, w- I wasn't wearing my prosthesis. I was just on my crutches. And this guy comes up to me and, you know, mispronounced the word essentially. And he was like, hey, excuse me, sir, how come you don't have a prostate? <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's not the kind of cancer I had, actually. Uh, I'm good in that area so far. And I'm like, you know, what are you talking about? Um, but, yeah, so, you know, it's, it's, it's certainly like people have that sort of expectation in their mind, I guess. And, and you know, the vast majority of amputees do actually wear a prosthesis um, because if their leg is amputated lower than mine, if they have what we call a stump or a residual limb, uh, they, you know, they can, it's just easier for them to get around. They can, sure. you know, especially if you're missing just, if you're missing like your leg below your knee, um, you know, in most cases you can be literally as active as you were before. Like you can run right. as fast as you could before, oh, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. No, it's wonderful, so, yeah. Yeah, so in those cases, it, you know, it just makes sense to wear a leg. So that just means that there's sort of more of a minority of people like me who are, you know, have a higher amputation, a hip disarticulation, or a heavy pelvectomy who don't wear a leg. And then, yeah, that makes us sort of stand out all that much more. And, you know, and I don't necessarily take uh, take offense to that. You know, it's just you get you get used to seeing somebody with the, sort of the normal equipment of four limbs, right? And, and so it, somebody with one leg just naturally stands out. That's just kind of the way it's always going to be. And, uh, you know, for better or worse, that's the way it is. Well, Josh, you are a shining example of what it means to be a young adult uh, with cancer or having young adult affected by cancer because you are past your prime in terms of having to deal with this stuff, and we're really happy for everything you've done for the movement and for your voice. I, I, have He's we not ma- past his prime. He's still in his prime. No, past his prime of having to deal with, of dealing with the <laughs> yeah, crapness. That's the problem. Hopefully you are past the crapness. Life yet. No, yeah. you have not passed your prime in any way except dealing with cancer's crap, which is very, very exciting. And yeah, um, 
And and I don't know if I've ever met you. I'd love to meet you at some point. We have to cross our paths and figure out where our our calendars are going. But I think that uh, it's just an amazing story. And as someone who tried to ski with two legs, I can't even tell <laughs> and you how. Miserably. And fell miserably. Yes. Literally fell down. I was that guy that turned into the snowball that ran, that fell down. Yeah. The I was that guy. Yeah, I think I think I saw you once. <laughs> it was all the donuts that we referenced earlier in the show. Exactly. Well, good luck to you. Again, the book is Just on Fall, joshsunquist.com. Remarkable story. Thanks for everything, and good luck to you in the future. We'll see you soon. Thanks so much, Josh. Hey, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Okay. Josh Sunquist. He's very cool. He's very cool. He's got a great-looking website, too. No, he's, it's, he's a great Tumblr he's site. A good guy. Okay. He's calling in from Atlanta Falcons game, so there might be some background noise. Nice. We forgive him. All right, Eric Chanteau, again, returning champion to the Stupid Cancer Show as an American international swimmer and young adult survivor of testicular cancer who won two gold medals as a member of the winning United States relay teams in world championships. He was a member of the 2012 United States Olympic team and earned a gold medal as a member of uh, the, US, the winning U.S. team in the 4x100-meter medley relay at the 2012 Summer Olympics in London. That was not a sentence, but everyone <laughs> kind of knows what I meant. Please welcome back to the Stupid Cancer Show, live from Atlanta at the Atlanta Falcons game, Eric Chanteau. Hey, Eric. How you doing, guys? Great. How are you? Who's winning? I'm, I'm doing awesome. I haven't walked into the game yet. I'm standing out in the hallway talking to you guys. Oh, we're, we're, all right, we're special. We're priority. Let's get, let's you guys, get this done you with you to watch the game. Priority, yeah. <laughs> How are you, man? Congratulations. Thank you very much. I'm doing well. I'm just kind of enjoying the, uh, the post-war break. Kind of getting to take spoils of war right now. It's a lot of fun the past couple. Well, I got to tell you, this summer was really exciting. You did our movement proud, and uh, everyone is just really thrilled to have you on the show. So, how how are you? Uh, you're feeling everything's good, right? Yeah, everything's good. I actually just had my four year uh, cancer anniversary on uh, this past Saturday, so I passed that mark, which was which was a, a good relief. I can start going to the doctors less and less now and uh which is awesome you know that's always always a good thing when you can start seeing those guys a little bit less yeah i i think i go every four years now so it's a good it's a good thing to get the distance makes a difference yeah it absolutely does and you know what i i heard from other survivors after i was diagnosed that that's really what it takes is time and you know they're right after uh, after a certain amount of time passes you almost forget about it which is great that is true. So when you forget about your diagnosis and what happened, <laughs> the, yeah, then you're good. You're well off when that happens. Yeah. So for our listeners out there, I'd love you to just recant your story, how it all began, what you were doing, you felt the lump, were you misdiagnosed, how your life sort of turned on a dime, and what you've really done to make uh, make good on all that. Well, I was first at about a week before Olympic trials in 2008, and I was literally just laying at night and uh, getting ready to fall asleep and felt something that I feel like shouldn't be there and um, ended up going to a general care physician who sent me to a radiologist who sent me to a urologist and where I was finally uh, diagnosed with testicular cancer. Um, and so that's kind of how it all went down and ended up postponing my treatment in order to compete in the trials and then compete at the Olympic Games. It's really the story got started. And, you know, after um, I came home, had surgery after the Olympics in 2008, and then um, decided to get back to the water and took off, which is I came back after cancer a lot faster than I was before it. And um, breaking my American records and the world records um, and winning Olympic gold, you know, after going through cancer is, is something that, I've been fortunate enough to do and, and fortunate enough to come back to the sport and be better at. And I remember back, uh, we had met, originally we met at the Livestrong Conference, but that was afterwards, and there was a lot of controversy over your decision to withhold getting treatment prior to, just so you can get everything accomplished that you needed to. And I guess at the end of the day, it was the right decision, but you can understand that people are like, really? You don't want to do this right now? But I commend you for owning what you wanted to have happen. Well, hindsight's always twenty twenty, and as in the grand scheme of things, it was my decision and mine alone to make. And I really um, made an effort, and still continue to want people to know and understand that um, I was very educated on my position. I had a whole army of doctors um, who were very closely monitoring me, and I was going through weekly tests, and 
um, you know, the the status of my disease really made consistent. Uh, my blood levels weren't elevating any more than they already were. Um, my scans were coming back um, no different than they had been. So my doctors weren't seeing any change, and they felt like if that was the case, then I would be able to uh, delay the treatment for a couple more weeks and actually compete at the Olympic Games. So it was uh, it was a very measured and very calculated decision um, that I was able to make, really what I want people to know. Was it still difficult for you, though, and did you have the entire support of your uh, family as well? Yeah, I mean, it was obviously a very hard decision to make. I mean, that was the uh, racking time for my family and my friends, knowing that I was leaving something like that. In it was a nerve-wracking time for me. I'm really that would pass, you know, I'd be like, wow, do I feel a little different? You know, is, is it changing? And, and, and it was hard on me as well. So um, it was not an easy situation, to say the least, for, for me or for anyone else that was uh, close to me at the time. But, again, they knew I was making an educated and informed decision about this. So how did you keep yourself mentally focused? I mean, that's obviously something that you're used to as an athlete at your level, but not very many have to are dealing with a cancer diagnosis when they're already mentally challenged by going into something like the Olympic trials, and you have this huge, huge extra layer going on where the other athletes don't. How did you stay focused mentally? Where all my training and, and experience in high-level competition came into play, because I just looked at cancer like I did any other big competition. You know, I was going to attack it with the same um, tenacity and, and um, courage and uh, and intensity that I do any other meet and any other race that I go into. And so that was, you know, what I know. That's that's what I'm good at. And um, you know, for me, that was the way I dealt with it, and it, it worked out. And I was able to stay focused on on uh, swimming at the biggest stage in the world and also kind of keeping myself halfway sane while dealing with cancer. Yeah. So uh, we, we like to talk about fertility. Obviously, it's a young adult issue. Testicular cancer being a fairly obvious cancer that involves fertility. Uh, were you uh, given advice on sperm banking, or did you have any uh, any conversations at all about that? Yeah, absolutely. I was um, definitely given advice and, and uh, actually was given the opportunity to bank my sperm three times, which I did. So I have my insurance policy frozen up in Indianapolis somewhere. Um, nice. I'm not I'm not quite sure where it is, but hopefully that's all it will be is uh, is an insurance policy, and hopefully I'll never need it. Um, the doctors have uh, reassured me that I am still uh, good to go naturally, and um, you know that's something that's very reassuring. It's that's uh that's the good news we like to hear. Yeah, yeah. So it was um, you know it was something that was definitely discussed and and i took the necessary precautions so let's talk about coming back for 2012 um were there any this may sound like a strange question but did you have any triggers were there any weird triggers as you're preparing for this year's olympics that harken back to that feelings of 2008 I, i wouldn't necessarily call them triggers i mean it was so nice to be able to come back to an olympics without that cancer cloud hanging over my head and um, I think more a sense of relief than anything else and a more of a sense of, wow, this is going to be a lot more fun this time. I'm going to actually be able to get to enjoy you know, the biggest competition we have and getting to race in front of the entire world and getting to race the best guys in the world. And it doesn't get any better than that. And, and I didn't have a cancer diagnosis taking anything away from that this time. So I have to ask you this very important question, Eric. I read that Ryan Lochte said he wants to be on The Bachelor. <laughs> is, mm-hmm. that, is that is that first of all? Do you endorse that decision of his? And what reality show would you love? Can can we find you on soon? Oh, you can't find me on any reality <laughs> show anytime soon. I, I'm not the reality type of guy. Um, but uh, no, you know, I don't know what what Ryan wants to do. I'm not really in a position to give an educated comment. Um, I, it, it would be entertaining, I guess, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know what Ryan's doing. I know he's doing a lot of media right now and, and a lot of publicity. You know, he's had an incredible summer and, and, and an incredible run this past couple of years. So um, it'll be interesting to see where we see him pop up next. What's the, how, what's the camaraderie like just, just you know, with, with all you guys, Michael and Ryan and everybody on the on the team? I mean, do you, do you are you in touch a lot sort of during the quote-unquote kind of off season, or not as much? You're kind of all doing your own thing? Did you see the Call Me Maybe video? I think that speaks for itself. Oh, in terms boy. Of how, we, 
how we are as a team. Um, you know, we love to joke around with each other. We're we're all really good friends, and um, you know, when we get off the national team and go our separate rate and our separate ways, um, when we get on a break, it's um, it's always nice. But at the same time, you miss seeing your friends. You know, we spend six weeks at a time with those guys, and they're kind of your family for that time at the Olympics. So um, we all keep in touch a little bit, and uh, we do our best to to catch up with each other when we can. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. It's such a foreign world to someone like me who's like this schlubby Jew from Brooklyn. <laughs> you imagine what it's like to be fit. I got to commend you. Really, it's amazing. This whole show is all young adult survivors who got cancer and then are still Olympic gold medalists. It's extraordinary. Do you? Um, how often do you do you meet other young adults uh, with cancer? Uh, well, the, the work that I do in being a Luke Strong envoy, I, I do get the opportunity to meet uh, other young adults. And um, I tell you what, it's, it's, it's a great experience. I mean, it's something you didn't have to do or get to do, um, but at the same time hearing their stories and um, hearing and tribulations and how it's shaped them and how it's made them the person they are, it's, it's pretty incredible and it's a unique experience that I get to have. Well, again, I don't want to take up much of your time. I know how precious the NFL is these days. So uh, thank you so much for, for, for taking the time to call in. And I just found the Call Me Maybe video. I didn't oh, boy. Know, I didn't know what you were talking about, but here it is yeah. on, uh, on on the YouTube, man. On the YouTube. Yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah. These guys we went like viral, I think, within like a day or two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, funny. good luck to you with everything. Uh, God bless you for all the amazing stuff that you've accomplished, and I really look forward to seeing you again soon. All right, thanks a lot, guys. It was nice thanks catching so up much. with you. All right, thanks, Eric. Eric Yeah, just go if you haven't seen it. It's already got uh, over 8 million views. <laughs> Call me maybe 2012 U.S. Olympic swimming time. It's oh, yeah? The swim team is pretty funny. Wow. Okay, yeah. we'll check it out. All right. Well, before we wrap, we do have a special guest in the studio. David Barton is here. Hello, David. Hey, how you doing? How you doing? Good, good. You've been patiently waiting. <laughs> no, we have, laughing every, along with yeah. everyone. No, well, we have in, we have live in studio audience members and audience guests, and it's great to have you here. Uh, David and I met. Um, well, why don't you tell the story? Oh, so we met. I don't even know. It was probably 2010, I guess, or maybe it was 2011, um, at the uh, New York City Hope Gala, which is held here in New York City every year. Uh, raising money for THON. Raising money for THON um, for Penn State, uh, uh, which they, they proudly uh, proudly support. Um, so we met. I think you were, were one of the keynote speakers that night of the event. Um, so we briefly met, although you don't remember it. Um, and then, I doesn't uh, remember what he had for breakfast. <laughs> and you are – wait, your name is <laughs> – uh, how did this guy get in the studio here? Yeah, exactly. Security. Um, so we met, and then and then actually through uh, through my job, I, I work in, uh, in in public relations, and then kind of in the health health industry, um, we were we were able to to basically reconnect. And Random happenstance was our. Random happenstance. Yes. Um, and, was our matchmaker. And, and just through that, um, you know, I, I I got to find out even more about the great things you're doing um, and the organization is doing, and um, and decided I you know I, I definitely want to. Uh, be more involved than I uh, than I was. We also have another friend to come, and she unfortunately passed. Cycle for survival. Yes. Yep. Okay. I uh, and uh, actually, uh, two of my good friends work at Memorial Sloan Kettering on the cycle so cycle for survival program. Yes. Um, it is a tongue twister, by the way. It is a little bit of a tongue twister there. Um, but I mean, I, they're doing incredible things, and that whole yeah. program is. It's just so much fun. Well, they raise like ten million dollars a year. It's extraordinary what 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 it grow grown into it's amazing yeah it's unbelievable so i mean if you can if you can hop on a hop on a, a spin bike for for a couple hours uh you know for one one day a year uh it, it's well worth uh you know donating your time and, and raising money for for kind of the rare cancers there that they support and and yes you are not a survivor but you are a young adult affected by cancer and what i find really appealing about this is that you don't necessarily have to have had cancer as a young adult to care about young adult cancer in our age group in this generation. So thank you so much for your support. And I think we are, we're publicly I'm drafting you to help us out with the OMG <laughs> Cancer Summit in Las Vegas next April. Now so, that you've made it public, I can't I can't. You have no choice it, you know? now. It's done. It's on the Internet. It must be true. Fantastic. No, David's very nice. He's very mature. He's one of these, like you said, he just wants to get involved. And yeah. he's, uh, he's uh The word is anti-Kenny. 
Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm so immature. <laughs> oh boy! All right, well, all right. We will let Lisa go and back. He's in really good shape. I don't know if he's been in the Olympics. I'm the least like fit oh, person yeah. in this room right now. Yeah. Do you wait? Do you run? Uh, I try. Do you run marathons? You know what I did actually a couple weeks ago here in New York City? They had the color run. Which I don't know if you guys heard about yeah, it. The five K. I saw all my friends from Instagram go. They went in in all white. Yep. And they came out. It was like a bag of it was out in Brooklyn, and you run five. Uh, it's a five K, and then at certain points along the track, you have people that throw colored powder at you. <laughs> is it is it sugar powder? Like, can you eat it? I I didn't, I didn't try and eat it. It's uh, made of Ajax. Yeah. <laughs> I, need, I need some incentive to do this. But but yeah, like Kenny said, you 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 go in in all white, and you and you come out, and you're covered in head to toe in different colors. That's hysterical. It was fun. It was very, very That's fun. That's hysterical. Nice. So if you pass out along the way, do they still throw colors on you? <laughs> like these... these they, they, they come by with like a sock and they just <laughs> whack you with the color. Like these heaping masses of exhausted people just Wake getting... Up, bitch. Getting that like Rip Torn yeah. thrown at you. Anyway. I no one knows who Rip Torn is. Except I do. Okay. Rip Torn was in Men in Black. No, that's Rip Taylor. No, I'm thinking Rip Taylor. Oh yeah, uh huh. Oh, the guy with the stupid. He, he, he was, was in Jackass. He yeah. was in Jackass. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Well, Kenny knows. Wow. The, the old man wow, in Jackass at the end. Yes. Who? Oh my God! It was yeah. that guy. Exactly. Yes, that guy. Exactly. That guy. That exactly. obnoxious person. So, Lisa, you're going back to Africa tomorrow here. Yeah, I'm back on a plane, 15 and a half hours okay. back over there. I didn't <laughs> get enough in coach. the next gazelle home. One eight hundred gazelle. Oh, dear God. I love gazelles. Oh, well, Lisa's going home and she's going to sleep for four days straight. I am. No, I can't. No? Unfortunately not. Okay. I'm good well, to go. Good this, to go. Well, anyway, um, David. Inspired now by the Olympic show. Thank you very much for you coming. Are you going to go home? Thank you very much. Yeah. yeah. We're gonna, we'll, we'll get you down the rabbit hole. Don't you worry. Really <laughs> good. Thanks, David. That's what he tells oh, all his victims. Yeah. <laughs> Put the dog in the basket. Oh, my all goodness. Right. <laughs> that's a wrap. Okay, that is a wrap. That's our show. And now it is time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. Have you ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, <laughs> you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. All right, that's it. That was number 237. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. like to thank our on-air and in-studio guests, Kenny Kane, Maddie Beckett, David Barton, Shannon Miller, Josh Sundquist, and Eric Chanteau. Come back and join us next Monday, everybody, for Stupid Thyroid Cancer in the spotlight, Lily Mulcahy, young adult survivor of thyroid cancer. And joining us is Joanna Isbell, Isbell, sorry, our good friend, young adult survivor of thyroid cancer, VP business development and columnist for Dear Thyroid. Carrie Wonderlick, she is also a young adult survivor of thyroid cancer and director of publications and outreach at FICA. FICA. Psyka, Psyka, as well as Gary Bloom, Executive Director director of Psyka. Okay, if you've missed any of our past shows, download them all for free on iTunes at iTunes.stupidcancer.org or check out all of the archives at stupidcancershow.org. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck on behalf of Lisa Bernhardt, myself, and our whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show. Have a great week. We'll see you back here next Monday. And La Shana Tova to our Jewish neighbors. Happy New Year. Good night, everybody. Tours, so.